Praise the Lord. Well, my wife and I are always so excited to be back here at the Promised Church. Uh, we feel it's our home, so I even dress casual instead of, uh, you guys are family, right? Anyway, so, you know, as you know, we love Dr. Henry and Jackie and Pastor Cindy and Terry, uh, phenomenal people, and they are truly exceptional teachers of the Word of God. Uh, we are very blessed to have them, and I mean that. We've heard people all over the world, and they are some of the finest. So we're very blessed here. Amen? And uh, the band, oh, praise God. What an anointed praise and worship. Love it. That's another reason we, we like coming here is the praise and worship, of course. But anyway, thank you for joining us online also. And um, how many people here have not heard my uh, testimony? Oh, okay, quite a few. Oh, that's good, all right. So, uh, you know, I've, I've spoken here quite a few times, so. But, you know, it's always good for us to hear it, uh, even if you've heard it just recently, because even me, you know, I've heard it many times, right? And, uh, but it always um, inspires me, or encourages me to have more a desire to want to witness, more of a passion for the lost. Because, you know, we can become a little complacent as Christians. We come to church, we hear a great message, and, um, you know, fellowship with Christians, we hang out with Christians, and we go home, and that's pretty much our life. But, you know, we have to remember that we're all called to preach the gospel. And, you know, so sometimes it pulls us out of our comfort zone. We have to go and share the truth with people. But, you know, we should have a heart's desire to do that. But when we understand how severe hell is, it will give you that you will think, man, I did not realize hell was this severe. You'll have more of a passion and a burden to want to share the truth with people. And, uh, you know, I'm, you'll get up each day and say, Lord, please use me today. Put me in front of somebody that I can share the truth with because I don't want them to go to hell. I mean, it's that bad. You wouldn't want to send your worst enemy to this place. So this message will encourage you to be more of a soul winner. And, you know, and God says he's entrusted us with the gospel. And so therefore we go and speak. First Thessalonians 2, 4 says. So God has entrusted us with the word of God. So he expects us to go and witness, not just sit home and not bother to share with others. You know, so to be entrusted with his precious word, that's quite a privilege. So that's what I want to inspire in each one of us and those online um, as a Christian to share the word of God. Also, it'll cause you to walk in the fear of the Lord and to not compromise and live uh, in a sinful lifestyle. You want to walk the straight walk with God. And also, it will cause you to appreciate more than you may what you were saved from. You know, a lot of Christians today believe in a teaching called annihilationism. And that's a teaching that says you simply cease to exist if you deny Jesus. But that's not true. Jesus said in Matthew 25, 41, uh, or 25, 46, these shall go into everlasting life, and these shall go into everlasting punishment. He used the word everlasting as the word ionios. So just as heaven is everlasting, so is hell everlasting. And you'll thank God you were saved from this horrible place. So there's a lot of false teachings out there about hell. Annihilationism, universalism, soul sleep, and they're all false. They're all lies, and they're not scriptural. So I'm going to share with you the truth, what the Bible says. And on November 23, 1998, uh, I had an experience that changed my life. 
It doesn't matter if you believe my experience. What matters is that you check out what the Bible has to say about hell and avoid it just the same. This was not a near-death experience. This was an out-of-body experience that's classified as a vision in the Bible. In 2 Corinthians 12, 2, Paul, when he was caught up into heaven in a vision, he said whether in the body or out of the body, he didn't know. Well, the Lord showed me that I left my body. So in a vision, you can actually travel. Uh, and like Paul and John, they actually traveled in their spirit bodies to heaven. And 1 Corinthians 15, 44 talks about a natural body and a spirit body. In Ezekiel chapter 8, he was picked up by his hair and carried from Babylon to Jerusalem in a vision. He was told to eat. He experienced the sweetness of the food in his stomach. He wept. He conversed. My point is, in your spirit body, you can experience the same things that you would in your physical body. And it's just as real. Not to compare my experience with any of the great men of the Bible. I'm just trying to give you a scriptural basis of how this can occur for a Christian. The only way a Christian can see hell is in a dream or a vision. Job 7.14 says, You scare me with dreams and terrify me through visions. You can have a terrifying vision. Isaiah 21.2, He was given a grievous vision. And in Job 4.14, Eliphaz was given a vision that caused his bones to shake. So you can have a grievous, terrifying, bone-shaking vision. And... Um, well, we went to a prayer meeting Sunday night. We attended every Sunday night. Nothing unusual about the night. Now, I had never studied the topic of hell at this point. I've never gone to dark movies. I've never drank. I've never taken drugs. And uh, I never had a vision before. I was a Christian at that point for 28 years serving God in the church. I've never backslidden. I've never had any. It was none of those reasons. It was just God's sovereign act to show me hell. I was, uh, we went to bed. I got up at 3 o'clock in the morning to get a glass of water. And suddenly I was pulled out of my body, like being drawn up out of your body. And I found myself falling through the air down this long tunnel. And it was getting hotter and hotter. And then I landed on an actual stone floor in a prison cell, but more like a dungeon in hell. Rough-hewn stone walls, bars, filthy, stinking, dirty, smoke-filled dungeon. I wondered, how... Did I get here? Why am I here? Nothing was explained at this point. But the first thing I noticed was the intense heat. It was so far beyond the ability to sustain life. I, I wondered, why am I alive through this? I should be dead. And I noticed I was in this prison cell with bars and rough-hewn stone. But Isaiah 24, 22 says, And they shall be gathered together as prisoners are gathered in the pit and shall be shut up in the prison. Proverbs seven twenty seven mentions going down to hell to the chambers of death. The word chambers means inner rooms. Job 17, 16 says, They shall go down to the bars of the pit. Jonah 2, 6, The earth with her bars was about me forever. And the Tyndale, the New International Commentaries, both point out that Jonah himself was at the gates of hell and that it was literal bars and gates. So there is somebody in the Bible that was at the gates of Sheol. And um, the first thing I wanted to do was get up and run out of this prison cell. That was my reaction. But I noticed I could hardly move. I thought, what's wrong with my body? There was no strength in my body. But Isaiah 14, 9 and 10 says, Hell from beneath is moved to meet thee at thy coming. They will say, Art thou become weak as we? Psalms 88, 4 says, I am counted with them that go down into the pit. I am as a man that has no strength. Now, if you ever had the flu and you felt weak, it's a thousand times worse than that. Any movement takes tremendous effort. But see, Acts 17, 28 says, In Him we live and move and have our being. So even movement comes from God. It's not automatic. Well, I looked up and I saw these two enormous beasts here in the cell. Uh, reptilish in appearance, 
bumps and scales all over the one's body, uh, huge jaw, sunken in eyes, claws about a foot long, and these particular two are about 12 or 13 feet tall. I could give you scripture for that too, but I gotta keep moving. And these demons were pacing in this cell like a vicious, caged animal. They had the most ferocious demeanor about them, and they were blaspheming and cursing God. They had an extreme hatred for God. But we know blasphemy comes from the demonic realm. Revelation 13, 6, James 2, 7, and some others. Then they directed that hatred they had for God, they directed towards me. I wonder why. What have I done to them? But the one demon grabbed me, picked me up, threw me into the wall of this prison cell like I weighed the weight of a water glass. I hit the wall. I felt as if every bone in my body had broken. Now, maybe a spirit doesn't have bones, but it felt that way. I collapsed on the floor. I wondered, how could I be alive through this? Now, I have to explain one thing. I understood most of the pain that I had felt was being blocked. I only felt a small amount of the pain you normally would have felt. But God explained on the way back that he blocked most of the pain that I would have felt. But he allowed me to feel a small amount of pain so I could relate to people that it's not a state of the mind. It's real literal pain you're going to feel in hell. Then this other demon grabbed me and picked me up, dug its claws into my chest and just tore the flesh open. Again, I wondered, how, how can I be alive through this? I should be dead. But I noticed, I looked, I had a body. It looked like n now. And Matthew 10, 28 says, Fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And remember Luke 16, the rich man in hell, uh, he had a tongue to speak. He wanted a, a drop of water. So he had a mouth to speak. He had eyes to lift. So you have a body in hell, but it withstands these torments. But something else I noticed, it w there was no blood or water coming from the wounds. It was just all dry. But Leviticus 17.11 says, the life of the flesh is in the blood. Well, there's no life in hell, so there's no blood. And Zechariah 9.11 says, thy prisoners out of the pit where there is no water. There's not one drop of water in hell. And these demons have no mercy over you whatsoever. They have an extreme hatred for mankind. But see, Psalms 103.17 says, the mercy of the Lord is upon those that fear him. Well, they don't fear him in hell, so you don't derive the benefit of mercy. Now, about this time, it went dark. I believed it was God's presence there to illuminate it so I could see, to describe to people what it looks like. But then he withdrew his light, and it resumed its normal state of absolute pitch black darkness. I mean, you cannot see the hand in front of your face. But Lamentations 3, 6 says, He has set me in dark places as they that be dead of old. Jude 13 mentions blackness of darkness forever. But it wasn't just dark. You could actually feel it. Exodus 10.21 mentions a darkness that may be felt. So it's not an exaggeration. It's just so dark, it seems to uh, penetrate through every cell in your body, the evil and the darkness. Now, I was taken out of this prison cell, and I was placed over next to this large, raging pit of fire. And this pit was about a mile across. I just understood that. And uh, with flames raging high up into this open cavern. And it was not metaphorical or allegorical flames. I felt the heat. I saw the fire. But more importantly, it's what the scripture says. Psalms 11.6 says, Upon the wicked he will rain fire and brimstone and a horrible tempest. Psalms 140 verse 10 says, Let burning coals fall upon them. Let them be cast into the fire, into deep pits. Matthew 13.49, The angels shall sever the wicked from the just and cast the wicked into a furnace of fire. Many more verses I could give you. But the point is, it's real, literal fire, and this is where I could first see people inside this pit. There were literally thousands of people screaming and burning, and most of us have never seen a person on fire. I mean, it's, it's really awful to see a person burning, 
and you could not distinguish a man from a woman. They just looked like skeletons, and it, looked, it appeared to me that it was like flesh hanging off their bones. And it was so loud, the screams, you, wa- you want to get away from it. It's deafening. But Isaiah 57, 21 says, There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. There's no peace of mind of any kind. But see, Isaiah 32, 18 says, My people dwell in a quiet resting place. You're not his people. You don't derive the benefit of even quiet. Now, I, I understood that I was down deep in the earth. I descended to get there. I ascended when I left. But more importantly, there's 49 scriptures that talk about where the current hell or Sheol is located. I'll just give you two. Ezekiel 26.20, number 16.32 and 33. Very clear it's down deep in the earth. I also understood there were different levels of torment and degrees of punishment. Remember, Jesus said in Matthew 23.14, you shall receive the greater damnation. That infers a lesser damnation. Or Matthew 10, 15, it shall be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. That infers a less tolerable. Hebrews 10, 28 says, of how much worse of a punishment suppose it shall be for you, you who have trodden underfoot the Son of God. A worse punishment. But my point is, there is no tolerable, comfortable level in hell. Any level is far worse than your mind can even conceive. I wanted to talk to my wife I just wanted to let her to know, let her know where I was at. But I understood I'll never have that opportunity. See, Job 7, 9 says, He that goes down to Sheol shall come up no more. You grasp that you're not going to get out. And you don't realize how tormenting that is to not have any finality with your loved ones. They don't even know that you still exist and you can never say goodbye. See, death does not mean cease to exist. Death means separation from God. You still exist. You're just down deep in the earth. And to not be able to say goodbye, ne- never see her again, never hold her, never tell her I love her. All these things I thought about just in a flash. My life up on the earth, breathing fresh air and sunshine and uh, going for a drive down by the beach. Those little thoughts flooded my mind for a second. And I knew that was a thing of the past. And um, I wanted to talk to a person, just anybody. You know, there's pleasure in conversation, right, with being with people, even if you don't know them. But see, those people in the pit of fire, they're all kept at a distance from each other. So you never have any conversation again. No fellowship. You're not with anybody. You're isolated and alone by yourself. That alone is enough to be, to suffer. You know, and you have no purpose, no destiny. It's just a complete useless wasting away. Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, There is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in Sheol. Just a waste. And it doesn't matter if you're somebody famous here. No one would know who you are there. You have no identity. Ecclesiastes 6.4 says, Your name is covered in darkness. And you're forgotten in hell. Psalms 88.12, Isaiah 26.14, Deuteronomy 32.26, Psalms 109.15, all explain that you're forgotten. And that's an awful thing because you, in your mind, you know nobody is giving you a thought. Right? Do you think about people in hell? We don't, right? Even if you go to a funeral today, no matter what the religion, they usually state, well, they've gone to a better place. But that's not true. Jesus said in Matthew 7 that many are going to hell and few are going to heaven. So you're forgotten in hell. The stench in hell is the most foul, putrid, disgusting odors you can't even imagine. Remember, Jesus rebuked the foul spirits, Mark 9, 25. Demons have a disgusting, foul, deathly odor to them, a decaying. Also, the smell of burning flesh. And, uh, if, you know, most of us never 
smelled a person that was rotting away that's died, horrible stench, that smell you're also uh, breathing in in hell. And also the smell of burning sulfur. And if you, you go to Hawaii to the volcano, they have signs posted where you cannot go past a certain point because the toxicity coming up from the burning sulfur, it's called sulfur dioxide. It's toxic. It will kill you to breathe. Well, sulfur is just another word for brimstone. And the word brimstone is all through the Bible. So you're breathing in this foul, putrid, disgusting air that you don't want to breathe. But it's even worse than that because there's not enough of it to breathe. So you have to fight and gasp for even the tiniest bit of oxygen. And maybe only an asthma patient can relate to this or a fireman. But this is how you breathe in hell. It's like... That was as much air as you could get. Well, that's not enough. Any moment you feel like you're going to suffocate. See, Isaiah 42.5 says, The Lord gives breath to the people upon the earth. You're not upon the earth. You're down deep beneath the earth. God's very specific with his word. And so it's a feeling of suffocation, ongoing feeling of that. You need to sleep in hell. Just like here, we need sleep, right? And I was there only 23 minutes, but I felt like I was there 23 weeks without going to sleep. You ever stayed up for just two nights? Try to stay up for two nights. Don't go to sleep. You cannot function after two days. You're pretty much a wreck. Well, in hell, you need to sleep also. But it gets progressively worse because you never get to go to sleep. You're desperate to, to rest and you can't. But see, Revelation 14, 10, and 11 says, And they shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the Lamb, in the presence of the holy angels. And the smoke of their torment ascends up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night. Now that primarily, primarily means no rest from the torment, but no rest of any kind because Isaiah 57 20 said the wicked are like the troubled sea that cannot rest. You know the sea is always moving, right? Can't rest. But see rest is a blessing from God. Psalms 127.2 said the Lord gives his beloved sleep. You're not his beloved. So you don't derive the benefit of sleep. It's a place of confusion Jeremiah 20:11, Isaiah 45:16 mention everlasting confusion and Job 10:22 a land without any order. You know how we like things in order, right? In life we like things orderly because we serve a god of order. Well, hell is the antithesis. Chaos, confusion, hectic, nothing makes any sense. So you're enduring all that craziness in hell. Uh, I was standing next to this big pit of fire and all along I could only see through the flames and just along the edge. It's so dark, it consumes the light. A pit a mile across here on the earth with flames, it would produce a lot of light, right? It would light, but in hell it doesn't. It pulls in the light. So I could just see through it and just along the edges. And along the edges were individual pits of fire, and there were people in their own individual pit, and fire would race up on their uh, body and burn off their flesh, and they'd scream in agony. And then it would seem to me that it came back on, and then the fire would rage again and burn off their flesh and this was a continual thing then there were other people in the big pit some people in prison cells I'm just telling you what I saw but Isaiah 30 33 says hell is deep and large it's a big place I only saw a piece of it this is what I saw and um, there were demons shoving people back in this pit now they have no strength to climb out but even attempt to there's demons that can torment you and push you back in and so forth uh, there were uh, demons that were all lined along. There was ca I was standing beneath a, ca a cavern, like a tunnel ascending upward. And all along the cavern walls were demons. Some were only two and three feet tall. 
Some were 12 and 13 feet tall. Uh, they were all deformed and twisted, grotesque, hideous creatures, no symmetry to their bodies. You know how we're symmetrical, everything's equal. One leg bigger than the other, one arm smaller than the other, twisted, deformed, uh, reptilish looking. Uh, there were demons that looked like spiders that were three and four feet across. Uh, there's scripture I could slow out down and give you more, but I'm just telling you what I saw. And um, there were snakes crawling all over everything. And I noticed I was standing on a solid bed of maggots. Maggots were all over everything and all everybody. But remember, Jesus said, where their worm dies not and the fire is not quenched. And he used the word, and he said, uh, the, the word he used there is the word maggot. Worm is the word maggot. And he personalized it by saying their worm. So you have your own personal maggots. And, and Isaiah 14, 11 says, where the maggot will be spread under thee and the worm will cover thee. Look it up in the original, in the Strong's uh, Hebrew word, it's the word maggot. So maggots covering you. Is that disgusting enough? And Job 24, 20 says, where the maggot will feed sweetly on thee. See, that's why Jesus said, where their worm dies not, because the flesh is never fully consumed, so the maggot can feed on you. Disgusting, I know. I'm just trying to give you a picture of what the Bible says, so you have a passion and a desire to want to share the word with people. You think, I can't let my family go through this, or my friends. I've got to do more than I've been doing. I need to pray and fast. I need to get on my knees. I need to do a, a prayer of really diligent crying to the Lord prayer uh, for my family to get saved. That's, how, that's what I want to inspire in your heart. And, uh, you know, I was looking at all this demons and disgusting, and I, I want to take a minute, though, and give you some scripture. I know I've been giving you scripture, but you might say, Bill, come on, demons tormenting. I mean, aren't you exaggerating maybe, and isn't that your idea of hell? No, that's the Bible's idea. So can you bear with me when I take a couple minutes and give you some scripture about being tormented? Okay, Matthew 18, 34 mentions being delivered to the tormentors. Luke 12, 47 says you'll be beaten with many stripes or beaten with few. Psalms 50, verse 22, you that forget God, you'll be torn in pieces. Matthew 24, 51, I will cut him in pieces and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites where there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Psalms 116, 3, the pains of Sheol have gotten hold upon me. I found trouble and sorrow. Amos 5, 18 and 19. For what good is the day of the Lord to you, judgment day? It'll be darkness. And as a man fled from a lion and a bear met him. Job 33, 22. His soul draws near to the pit and his life to the destroyers. Psalms 141, 7. Their bones are scattered at Sheol's mouth. Psalms 49, 14. Their beauty shall consume away in Sheol from their dwelling. Psalm 32.10, many sorrows shall be to the wicked. Psalm 78.49, I will cast my wrath upon them by sending evil angels among them. Deuteronomy 32.22, for a fire is kindled in my anger and shall burn into the lowest hell. They shall be burnt with hunger and devoured with burning heat and bitter destruction. I will also send the teeth of beasts upon them with poison of serpents of the dust. Matthew twenty two thirteen. Jesus said, bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Luke 12, 4 and 5. Don't fear him who's able to kill the body, but there's no more he can do. Rather, fear him who's able, after he is killed, has power to cast into hell. I say to you, fear him. And uh, Matthew 18, 8 and 9. Cast him in everlasting fire. Cast him into hell fire. Uh, Matthew 23:33, he said to the Pharisees, you serpents, you generation of vipers, how can you escape the damnation of hell? 
They couldn't escape it. And one more verse, Psalm 74:20 says, for the dark places of the earth are full of the habitations of cruelty. Full of the habitations of cruelty. The word cruelty there, look it up in the original number, 2555 in the Strong's Concordance. It's, it's the word Hamas. We've all heard that word before, right? Hamas, the terrorist group. Hamas means ruthlessness, violence, cruel hatred, and destruction. So for the dark places of the earth are full of the habitations of ruthlessness, violence, cruel hatred, and destruction. Well, that's what you're experiencing in hell. Now you say, Bill, why would God make such a horrible place? Well, Jesus said why. In Matthew 25, 41, he said, hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. He never intended for man to go to this place. But he used the word prepared. It's the same word he used in John 14, 2, where he goes to prepare a place for us in heaven or make ready. So he was preparing heaven for us, hell for the devil. So what he did in the preparation was, see, James 1, 17 says, every good and perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights. So all the good we enjoy in life it comes from God. Fellowship, drinking, eating, sleeping, all the good things we enjoy, it's not automatic. It's from God. So what he did in the preparation, he withdrew his goodness or his attributes. See, hell is dark because First John 1, 5 said God is light. There's only death in hell because John 1, 4 said God is life. There's only hatred in hell because First John 4, 16 said God is love. There's no mercy in hell because Psalms 36, 5 says the mercy of the Lord is in the heavens. There's no strength in hell because Psalms 18.32 said it's the Lord that gives us strength. There's no water in hell because Deuteronomy 11.11 says water is the rain of heaven. And there's no peace in hell because Isaiah 9.6 says he is the prince of peace. So you see, if God removes himself from the situation, all the good goes with him. You can't have the good without God. You can't separate the two. So for your person in life that says, you know what? I don't want anything to do with God. Well, fine. There's a place prepared. There's nothing to do with him. Can you see that? Other than one thing, the fire in hell does represent God's wrath. All through the scripture, it says he will pour out his wrath on sin in the form of fire. But God poured out his wrath on Jesus on the cross so we wouldn't have to take that wrath. So it's your choice. Either believe Jesus, let him pay for it, or you pay for it. People look at the green the tree, the ocean, the sky, and they say, oh, isn't Mother Nature wonderful? No, that's not Mother Nature. That's Father God that provided all that goodness. Amen? Psalms 33, 5 says, the earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. We get to enjoy his goodness while we're here in life. But if you deny him, then you don't get to enjoy his goodness. As I was looking at all this horror, something began lifting me up this tunnel, raising me up this dark tunnel. And in this black, pitch black darkness, this bright light appeared. Now, I knew immediately who it was. There's no doubt in your mind when Jesus shows up who he is. I didn't see his face. I just saw the outline of a man standing in a white, pure, holy light, like no light I had ever seen. And I just called out his name. I said, Jesus. And he said these two words. He said, I am. When he said that, I went out. I don't know if I died or passed out. I can only explain it through Revelation 1.16. When John saw him, he said his countenance was bright as the sun and I fell at his feet as one dead. Well, after a time, he touched me and I came to and it was at his feet that I realized, even though I've been a Christian at that time for 28 years, I realized if he wouldn't have gone to the cross, I would be in this place for all eternity. I was so grateful for the cross 
I just wanted to thank him. I didn't want to ask him any questions. I just kept saying, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. Thank you, Lord. I love you, Lord. Thank you for dying for me, Lord. I just wanted to worship him and thank him. But after a time, thoughts started coming to my mind, and he would answer my thoughts. But Psalms 139.2 says, he answers our thoughts afar off. I thought, Lord, why did you send me to this horrible place? He said, because many people do not believe hell is real. He said, even some of my own people do not believe hell exists. That statement surprised me. I thought all Christians believe in hell. But we have found out since many believe in, like I said, universalism, annihilationism, soul sleep, many false teachings. And he wanted me to point people to the scripture. I'm just a signpost to point them to the scripture. I said, Lord, why did those demons hate me so much? He said, because you're made in my image and they hate me. Remember, Jesus said in John 15, uh, 18, they hated me before they hated you. So demons hate God, but they cannot hurt him. They can only hurt his creation. And that's why Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But he said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So all the destruction we see in life today, sickness, disease, poverty, destruction, storms, all that comes from the demonic realm. It's not from God. We serve a good God that came to give us life more abundantly. Isn't that wonderful? We serve a good and a loving God. I thought, Lord, I don't want to tell anybody about this experience. They're going to think I'm crazy or had a bad dream. He said, it's not your job to convict their hearts. He said, it's the Holy Spirit's. He said, you just go and tell them. I said, yes, sir, I'll go. But I have to admit, I complained for seven years. I only told one close friend and my mother. And the friend asked us to come to a Bible study. Three months later, I went reluctantly. And I thought, well, I'll go one time. Well, it spread from there. So for the next seven years, we began getting invited all over the country. So we paid our own way. We never took any money from anybody for those seven years. Then after that, the publisher came to us and asked me to write the book. So it was not something I wanted to self-promote. But I was happy to write the book because I could place in there all the scriptures that have to do with what I saw. So people can read the book and say, that's what's important for you, not my experience. But I complained for those seven years. I felt uncomfortable. I had a real estate business making a lot of money. I'm married. I have a good life. Why do I need to travel, pay my own way, put up with ridicule and so forth? Why would I need to do that? And I complained. I said, Lord, I feel uncomfortable. I'm too conservative of a person to be identified with someone that says they've been to hell. And the Lord spoke to me one day and said, Bill, it's not about you being comfortable. It's about you being obedient. That really convicted my heart. I thought, Lord, I'm sorry. I've been complaining. You know, so now it doesn't matter if I feel uncomfortable in any way because if one person can come to the light of the scriptures and avoid this horrible place, then you won't have to go to hell. Then it's worth any uncomfortableness I would ever feel. But, you know, he's given us all a job to do. Every one of us are equally important. There are no big shots with God. So I encourage you, whatever God's called you to do, do it with all your might. Because we don't have a lot of time. I thought, Lord, why didn't I know you? Now, I didn't explain to you that God had blocked it from my mind that I was a Christian. He hid that fact from me. You say, Bill, where's that in the Bible? In Luke 24, 16, when Jesus appeared to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, it says their eyes were holden that they should not know him. John MacArthur's commentary and Matthew Henry's commentary say, quote, they were kept by God from recognizing him. God hid it from their mind. Other examples of this are in John 20, 14, Luke 18, 34, Daniel 4, 34, 2 Kings 4, 27, all places where God hid it from their mind. And he hid it from my mind for this reason. 
You see, if I was there as a Christian, which I was, but I didn't know, I would have known, praise God, he's getting me out of here. Right? As Christians, we know our destiny's heaven. I would have known that. He wanted me to feel what they feel. Hopelessness. See, they understand they're not going to get out. Isaiah 38, 18 says, Those who go down to the pit cannot hope for thy truth. And we know Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. They have no hope for him because it's too late. And that is the worst part of hell. Because in your mind, you understand, you can grasp, I'm here forever. There's no Calvary coming over the hill. There's no angels to protect me. I'll never, ever get out of this. I want that to sink into you for a minute. Because here in life, we don't really know what it's like to be hopeless. Because even if your situation is so painful, you can always die to get out of the pain. But in hell, you can't. You'll never escape it. And that's what he wanted me to feel, the hopelessness. I'll never forget that. And I thought, Lord, those demons were so powerful. He said, because they, they were so big and strong. But now... I looked at these demons that were, they were on the wall, these huge demons, and they looked like ants suddenly when Jesus showed up, like little ants. And I thought, did they shrink? What happened? And he said, all you have to do is cast them out in my name. And what I gathered from that, him showing me that they look like ants was, he wanted me to grasp as Christians the authority we have in the name of Jesus, that demons appear like an ant. Now, if you step on an ant, right, you're walking and you step on an ant, you wouldn't even give it a thought, right? It's dead. That's how God wants us to look at demons in his name. They have no power whatsoever over us. If we can grasp the authority we have in his name, if we're walking in the spirit, we're keeping God first and we use his name, they know we have great authority over them. So that's what he wanted me to get out of that. And uh, I said, Lord, we, went, uh, uh, we kept going up uh, above the earth and we came, we went in, uh, in, in this whirlwind tunnel. There was a tunnel that we came out of hell in and it was like a whirlwind. There's scripture for this, but I, I'll keep moving. And I, he had me turn around and look and there were people falling one after another back down this tunnel that we just came out of, falling into hell. And he allowed me to feel a piece of his heart. And this is probably the most significant thing of this whole vision to me when he allowed me a, a, a piece of his heart that I felt. And he wept when he saw people falling into hell. And he's given us the privilege of preaching the gospel. And if all Christians would preach, many, a, a lot less people would have to be going into hell. But he wept and I said, Lord, I, I can't even stand to feel a piece of the anguish you're feeling for a soul going into hell. And uh, he stopped. I, I couldn't take it. I couldn't even take this to feel a little peace. You know, Ephesians 3.19 says, his love passes knowledge. His love for us is way beyond the ability that, that we have for each other. And I'm just going to share with you quickly a scripture he shared with me. Psalms 139.17 and 18, David said, your thoughts toward me are all precious. And I suppose if I should count them, they are more than the sands. Another place says, more than the sands on the whole earth. So his thoughts are more than the sand granules on the whole earth. Now, if I was to pick up a handful of sand, and there were thousands of granules, right, in my hand, if each granule represented a thought, and I took one, and I said, I love how my wife prays for me all the time. I love how she prays for her parents. I love how she honors my, the whole family. I love how beautiful she is. 
and I, you came back three or four hours from now, and I'm trying to exhaust the amount in my hand, you would say, Bill's really gone over his wife, right? He's crazy about her. That's just to exhaust the amount in my hand. And God says his thoughts towards us are more than the sands on the whole earth. Now, can you grasp that? We have no idea how many granules there are on the whole earth, and that's not an exaggeration because God can't exaggerate. And it says every thought is precious towards us. He has all good thoughts towards us. Now can you grasp a little bit of how much the love God has for each person? He loves us far more than we are able to love each other. And that really stuck with me, the great love God has for us. Uh, we came back to our home, my home, and I could see my body lying on the floor. It was so strange to be outside your body. I thought, that's not me. This is a real me. The body looked so temporal. It looked just like... Uh, if you looked at your car, you get out of your car, it's a vehicle to get you around in life, but it's not you. This was the real me. And, and then I saw a puff of smoke go up, and I said, Lord, what's that? He said, that's your life. I said, that's it? It was over like a tea kettle, James 4.14, life is but a vapor. And he said, yes, but what you do for me during that short time, I will count for all eternity. Wow, that gave me a better overall eternal perspective. What's really important in life? You know, we waste time on so many things that are insignificant and we get all stressed over things that aren't, don't matter. But what matters is serving God, doing what he's called us to do because he'll remember it. He writes it in a book and he'll remember it for all eternity. It'll never pass away. So it gave me that better overall eternal perspective, what's really important. And um, there's more things, I'm, but I'm going to cut it short there. Um, you know, what it gave me was this passion to want to witness. It really put it in my heart, and I just want to share this real quickly. I put this in my book. But, you know, the first year after this ha occurred, I just wanted to witness to everyone. I didn't want to tell them any, anybody about my experience. I just wanted to witness because I was just in hell. I know it's real. I saw it. But more importantly, it's what the Scripture says. But still, I would look at a group of people, and I think most of them are going to hell. They don't know the Lord. What can I do? I've got to do something to talk to them. That's how I felt. I felt so inspired this first year that it started to drive me crazy, you know. And the Lord had to calm me down a little bit because, you know, I'm not the Savior. I'm just the delivery boy. And that also helps all of us to know that we don't have to save anybody. We just have to deliver the message. They can do what they want. But this is an analogy that will help you understand how I felt. If you were lying by a swimming pool and... Uh, you saw this evil, these evil men come up and they have a big truck and they drain the swimming pool halfway down and they fill it up with acid. It still looks like water, but now it's acid. They throw a piece of metal in the pool and it disintegrates immediately. Well, you know they're up to no good, right? You're lying by the pool. They drive away. Now these children come running around the corner and they see the pool. The water looks great and they're running, charging. They're going to dive into the pool. What would you do? Would you just sit there and say, not my kids. You wouldn't do that, would you? you do anything you could to stop them from jumping in that water because you know they'll experience a horrible death if they jump in that water. You tackle them. That's how I felt. But we can't tackle people. So, <laughs> But we should be inspired then and say, Lord, use me today. And, and God will make a way. And the thing is, if you're willing, it, it's easy to witness. God puts people in front of you. And they're willing to listen. And you don't pound them over the head with a Bible. You just share with them and, and show genuine concern and care for them. 
you know, and people will sense that. If you really care for their, their life, their eternity and so forth, they'll listen. And so it's, it's that heart, and I know we have to stay in the Word and in prayer to keep that heart. Because in the natural, you know, we can go home and we're saved, we're, gra- we're going to heaven, and we can lose that compassion for others. But to keep it, we've got to stay in the Word and stay in prayer to always be thinking how God thinks. He doesn't want anybody to go to hell, and He's going to use us. And that's a privilege. So that's what I want to encourage you all to be soul winners. You know, just tell God, I'm available. Use me. Now, you might say, Bill, you know, how can a loving God send a good person to hell? Well, God doesn't send anybody to hell. I'll get to that in a minute. But see, good doesn't work because most people think that good gets you to heaven. Good doesn't work for two reasons. Number one, your standard of good and God's are two different things. James 2.10 says, if we offend his law in one point, we're guilty of all. If we lie once, uh, Revelation 21.8 says, all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire. If we steal one thing, 1 Corinthians 6.9 says, no thief will inherit heaven. If we have one lustful thought, Jesus said that's the same as committing adultery and no adulterer will inherit heaven. That's just three of the Ten Commandments. So if we're going to be judged by that standard of good, would we be guilty or innocent? We'd all be guilty. There's even a scripture in Proverbs 24.9 that says, even the thought of foolishness is a sin. If we have one foolish thought our entire life, that would exclude us from heaven. That's a pretty high standard, isn't it? So none of us can say, hey, I'm pretty good. Let me into heaven. He's going to say, no, not according to my standard. Matter of fact, Job 15, 16 says, man is so filthy, he drinks iniquity like water. Thank God it's not based on being good, but on a relationship with Jesus Christ. So good won't get you there. But the second reason good doesn't work is, you know, I was on a secular radio talk show and it was syndicated across America and they said, Bill, watch your back with this guy. He doesn't like Christians. So I went on the air and he said, okay, Christian, don't you quote me one Bible verse over my airwaves. You got that? I don't want to hear none of that Bible on my airwaves. I said, okay. He said, I submit to you that you Christians are unreasonable because you don't consider my viewpoint. My viewpoint is just as valid as yours and I'm a good person and I should be let into heaven. And if your God doesn't let me into heaven, he's actually guilty of a hate crime. So what do you got to say for yourself, Christian? Well, what do you say? You're live on the air. Well, God gave me an analogy, thank God. Because <laughs> I couldn't use scripture. I said, okay, you think you're a good person, you should be let into heaven. He goes, that's right. I said, okay, say you went and found the most expensive home in the country and you knocked on their door and you said, uh, excuse me, but I'm going to move in with you because I'm a good person. What do you think the people would say? No, right? You wouldn't expect them to let you move in. You, have, you don't know them. But I said, you go through your whole life. You have nothing to do with God. You deny Jesus as the son of God, which he said is the only way to his house. Then at the end of your life, you have the nerve to come knock on his door, demand to live there because you're a good person. What does good have to do with it? You don't know him. See, God offered to be your creator, I said, throughout your whole life, but you pushed him away. You pushed, he offered to be your savior throughout your whole life. You pushed him away. See, God is our creator. He's not our savior to invite in Jesus. Then he becomes our father. Galatians 3.26, John 1.12, John 8.44, Romans 9.7 and 8 all explain that he's, your, he's your, your creator, not your father, and to invite in Jesus as your savior. So that's unreasonable to expect to live in someone's house you don't even know. He said, well, you Christians are narrow-minded. You think you're the only ones that's right. He said, um, I believe all roads lead to heaven. That's what I believe, all roads. You're narrow-minded. I said, well, let me give you another analogy, which God gave me. 
thank God. I said, okay, say again, you invite me over to dinner to your home. And you said, Bill, I want you to go south on Highway 95, turn right at Main Street, go up the hill, you'll come to my house. But that's the only way to get to my house. And I say to you, you know what? I'm going to go north on 95. I'm going to get off at Beach Boulevard because I think all roads lead to your house. That's what I think. Well, you're going to tell me, Bill, you're not going to get to my house. I'm trying to give you clear directions to my house. The same way God gives us clear directions to his house. I think God knows where he lives. All we have to do is follow his clear directions and we will get there. That's not narrow-minded. That's specific. He's given us specific, clear directions on how to get to his house. He's not trying to keep us out. And this is the clear directions to heaven. John 3.36 says, He that believes in the Son has everlasting life. But he that believes not on the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. You have to know the Son. How do you do that? Just two verses. Luke 13.3, Jesus said, Unless a man repent, you shall all likewise perish. What does repent mean? Repent means to have a humble heart and admit, I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. I want to turn away from sin. I want to follow Jesus. See, it's not enough, enough to mentally assent to the fact and say, I can believe Jesus is God. I believe that. That's not enough. That's not repentance. Yeah, uh, repentance is where you're agreeing to change, turn away from sin, and follow Jesus. Now, on, our, on your own, you cannot resist sin. But when you get born again, God gives us the nature, the ability, the grace to resist sin. But right now, we just have to be willing to turn away. That's a true, humble heart. And then number two, Romans 10, 9, and 10 says, if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God's raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. You have to believe it in your own heart and confess him with your own mouth. That's the only way. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. You want to live at his house? You do it his way. There's only one way. Now you say, Bill, I just don't believe that. Well, then I have a verse for you. Revelation 21.8 says, All unbelievers shall have their part in the lake of fire. So he just told you, if you don't believe him, you will end up in the lake of fire. That's the warning. He's letting you know if you don't believe the Bible. That's why you can see why Jesus said in Matthew 12.37, Your own words will condemn you. Because you said, I don't believe the Bible. You send yourself to hell. He's not sending anybody. It's people's own words denying Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You know, Revelation 20.15 says, Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. God actually has a book, and He's going to look to see if our names are in His book. And the worst words you could ever hear standing before the throne of God would be Him to say, Your name's not here because you pushed me away. He wouldn't want to say these words, but he'd have to say, depart from me into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. He would not want to say those words, but because he loves us, he gives us a free will to choose. That's proof he loves you. He lets you decide. But he tells you the consequences for your actions ahead of time. If you deny him, you will end up in hell. There needs to be a purposeful act on our part and whether you believe it or not, you will spend your life in one place or the other. And heaven is not our default destination. You have to make a decision. 
You know, when the Titanic set sail, there were all different walks of life on that ship, all different religions, all different beliefs, and there were three classes of people, the lower, the middle, and the upper class. But when the ship went down at the White Star Line office in Liverpool, England, they had two signs posted, and the people would wait anxiously each day as a man would come out to write their relative's name down on one of the signs. One sign said, known to be saved. The other said, known to be lost. Now, when the ship left, there were all different beliefs, all different religions, and three classes of people. But in the end, there's only two. You're either saved or you're lost. And it's your choice. So my question for you is, do you know if your name is written in his book? You have to be certain of this one can't make a mistake you know we've all made mistakes in life but this one you don't want to make because you won't get a second chance this is the most important decision anybody could ever make so I just want to ask online and here is there anybody in this room that would say Bill I don't know for certain that my name is in his book and I don't know if I've ever really truly repented but I like to have that assurance. I like to know that my name is in his book. You can know that today. So I'm going to ask you at the count of three just to raise your hand. If you're here and you'd say, Bill, I, I want my name in his book. One, two, three. Slip up your hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. Thank you. Thank you for your honesty. I see that hand. Thank you, Lord. So anybody else? You know, it says all of heaven celebrates over just one soul. You are so precious to God. Please do not take a chance. And don't leave here and think, you know, I can, I can think about this later. Because once you leave here, your heart grows harder. And you don't realize you may not have tomorrow to think about this. We were at a church, and a young man was, uh, he brought his best friend, and his friend said, I don't want to, I don't believe Bill Weiss. I don't believe him. He was only 23 years old. They went to breakfast a few days later. He talked to him. He says, you're my best friend. I want you to go to heaven. He goes, I don't want to hear it. I'm not interested. This is a true story. He got up from the table, breakfast table, left. Five minutes later, his car hit a brick wall, and he died. He didn't expect to die that day. And if he didn't change in that last five minutes, he'd be in hell for all eternity and remembering he had the opportunity. If everybody would stand to their feet, I'm going to each person that raised their hand, I'm just going to ask you to get out of your seat and come forward and just give us the privilege of praying for you. Come forward. Praise God. Was anybody else? Let's ask you. Come forward right now. We're going to say a prayer. But then right after this, praise God. Yes. God is so proud of you to come forward. You know, like I said, you are precious to God. Each person here is precious to God. 
And this is the most, the wisest decision you could ever make. We're going to pray this prayer, and then I'm going to ask the rest of you. We're going to have a team up here, and we're going to pray for anybody that has need of prayer for anything or any questions you have. I'm going to invite you to come up front after we pray for them. So don't leave. All right, you guys are going to say this prayer, and you're going to repeat after me. All right? And it's going to come from your heart, but just say these words. And I'm going to ask you just to lift your hands up. This is just an act of surrender. You're saying, God, hey, I surrender my life. You gave your life for me. I'm surrendering my life to you. All right, you ready to say this prayer? These words are going to change your whole eternity. We can all say this together. Say, dear God in heaven, I know that I've sinned. And I cannot save myself. I believe you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. That he was crucified, died and was buried, but rose again and lives forevermore. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I'm sorry. Come into my heart. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. You are the Son of God. Fill me with your Spirit. Thank you, Jesus, for giving your life for me. Thank you for taking me to heaven. And I now confess, I'm a born-again Christian going to heaven, and I'll serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise God. Yes. Praise God. I know uh, pastor here has some uh, information, to, right, to give them. So uh, pastor's going to give you uh, some information here that will help you and encourage you. It's important you get two things. Get in the habit of reading the Word every day. It's not, this is not a ritual or it's, it's a manual. The Bible is a manual for life. It's an instruction manual. It tells us how to live life. And you'll get to know this Jesus that we brag about. See, because he's all through the pages. And you'll see how wonderful he is and the plan he has for your life. But you have to read it to find it out. And he has promises in his word. But you have to read it to appropriate those promises. Also, there's a devil that hates your guts and wants to kill you and destroy your life. And the way you defend against him is you quote the word. That's what Jesus did when the devil came. He said, it is written. And then the devil fled. But if you don't know what is written, you won't know what to say. So it's important to get the word in your heart, learn about Jesus, and, get, and see what the promises he has, that he wants you to live a blessed life and he wants you to bless others. So that's number one, reading the word every day. Even if it's 15 minutes, just do that. Start off with that. And then number two, you got to go to a good church. It makes all the difference where you go. Because many churches teach false teachings. And you need to go to a church that teaches it the full counsel of God. So you'll grow strong like a military man. You're trained up. And now you're ready to defend your life and, and, and uh, pray for others and so forth. And you make new friends that will help pray for you when you go through something difficult. Now, if you don't have a good church, I don't know, you guys. If th you're in the best church there is right now. This is the best place you could go. And I mean that with all my heart. You will learn here, and you'll learn much more than you would any other church. You'll grow at leaps and bounds. You'll become like a Navy SEAL here. 
That's true. So God's proud of you. Praise the Lord. And uh, Pastor, do you want uh, to, them to, uh, anything you want to say to them? Or? And then we're going to pray for everybody too after that. Yes. But we want to, we want to pray for everybody Thank too. you, Bill. We love you. Appreciate you as family. And we're very grateful. I mean, he could be anywhere today. Obviously, you've seen. But we're very privileged. And I believe today was a divine appointment for everyone watching online and everyone here today. It's not an accident. And God wants to take you to the next level so you can reach the assignment that he has for you to impact the world, right? So uh, Bill and Annette will be in the back. They have books as well, uh, 23 Minutes in Hell and other uh, volumes there that you can continue to peruse so that you can help others and help yourself, right? So read chapter one tonight. Can I get your commitment to read chapter one tonight in the book I gave you, God's Plan for Your Life? That was written by Dr. Henry, Apostle Henry, for his children. So if anything had ever happened to them, they would know how they can reach heaven for sure and have eternal hope and salvation. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for today. We thank you for everyone that heard the testimony and the words of wisdom from your book through the mouth of our brother and friend, Bill Weiss. Thank you for his bride, Annette. Thank you for blessing them abundantly and bless everyone here today that heard your word online and in person. Bless them to reach their full potential in sharing the love of God, bringing people eternal life through you. In Jesus' name. So have a great Sunday. Share the message online right. with your friends. And we're going to have people come forward right, right, right yeah, now. And if you do have a prayer need, feel free to come forward now yes. as we close the service because the pastors and other prayer warriors will be up here to help you and pray for you. Any questions you have or anything else, come forward. Thanks, Bill.